Colorado. You're listening to the Daily Sun Up with the Colorado Sun. It's Wednesday, November 22nd. Today, political reporters Jesse Paul and Brian Eason discussed what state lawmakers did during Colorado's special legislative session on property tax and other financial relief that ended Monday, and how it will affect your wallet. Before we begin, we'd like to thank our sponsor, the Colorado Department of Healthcare Policy and Financing. HCPF is raising awareness of the invaluable roles of direct care workers and the direct care workforce in Colorado. Direct care workers play a crucial role in enhancing the lives of individuals requiring assistance due to disability, age, or illness. Learn more about the impact of these workers and how to become one by visiting hcpf.colorado.gov slash direct-care-spotlight. Now, let's go back in time with some Colorado history. On this day in 1858, William Larimer Jr. formed the Denver City Town Company to secure a strategic site in the mineral-rich western Kansas Territory. Following gold discoveries along the South Platte River, several groups established settlements in the area, including Montana City, St. Charles, and Auraria. Larimer's group took over the nearly deserted St. Charles, threatened to hang any dissenters, and renamed it Denver in honor of the former territorial governor James Denver. Larimer was a skilled planner and designed Denver with a main street named for himself. The settlement outpaced its rivals, including Auraria, by securing vital stagecoach service in 1859, thereby becoming the region's commercial and political hub. Despite its controversial beginnings, Denver eventually became Colorado's central city and a key player in the American West. Before we continue, choosing your health insurance plan can be difficult and confusing. The Colorado Sun is hosting a free virtual discussion on December 6th to help you learn to choose the best option. RSVP for free and submit your questions for the panelists by visiting coloradosun.com events. Next, our feature story. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Daily Sun Up podcast. I am Jesse Paul, political reporter at the Colorado Sun here with Brian Eason, fellow political reporter at The Sun, and we just got done with a special legislative session on property tax and other financial relief. We were locked in the Capitol for effectively four days with people that we didn't think we were going to have to see till January, but so goes it when ballot measures fail and the governor has his way. So things just wrapped up. It was a really interesting session. A lot of wonky politics and policy stuff happened. Uh, so Brian, why don't we just start with you know some big takeaways about what got done you know, and how it's going to affect people's wallets. Yeah, so uh, the, the biggest thing to start out is, yes, it is very similar to Proposition HH in a lot of ways, but there are some differences. Um, so uh, number one, everything they did is temporary. It, it's it's one year of tax relief. And the other side of that is schools won't see this big long-term boost in funding that they would have under HH. Another thing is uh, Democrats did steer more tax relief to, to low-income Coloradans than Proposition HH would have, and we'll talk a little bit more about, about what that means later. Um, uh, and three, uh, fire districts and, and other emergency services, they won't lose any tax revenue under this. Um, uh, that was kind of a big sticking point during Proposition HH was that uh, those districts felt like they weren't getting enough from the state in terms of assistance to, to kind of compensate for the lost property tax revenue. However, other local governments will actually get even less state backfills than they would have under HH. So that's something to watch going forward as as lawmakers figure out what long-term property tax relief looks like. 
Okay, so for homeowners, they're going to get the same level of relief as they would have under HH for the taxes due next year for the 2023 tax year. No commercial property relief. That's one other difference from HH. No changes to the senior homestead exemption. That's another change. And then uh, flat table refunds. I think you're going to get into that a little bit later in our conversation, but that was the other kind of similarity from HH. So uh, some people like to call it HH light. I think with the broad constellation, if you look at all the things that HH did, that might be a little disingenuous uh, when you take a look at it. And I think the interesting reality too is that state lawmakers have really limited tools when it comes to property tax relief and what they can do because the legislature is only in charge of the statewide assessment rate and value um, exemptions from from what's uh, taxable. So in reality, you know, there, there's only a few levers that they can pull. So they pulled kind of the same ones. It's actually interesting. There was a $5,000 increase in, in exempt taxable value, uh, which averages out to about $27 per homeowner per year uh, in savings. Uh, we, were, we were nerding out about those numbers. Uh, Brian, you kind of d- talked about uh, this idea that that uh, Democrats really prioritize benefits for low-income Coloradans. Obviously, the, the change in the taper refunds, making them the same amount for everybody, means larger refunds for, for the majority of taxpayers. But, but there were other things that were done during the session. What happened there? Yeah, so the other big program that's going to to target low-income workers was Democrats actually doubled the state's earned income tax credit. Uh, now, that is a federal program, um, but the state matches, uh, right now it matches about 25% of, of what the federal credit is worth. Um, and that credit primarily benefits working families, right? Um, lo- all low-income workers can can qualify for it up to uh, a certain level of income, but uh, primarily the big beneficiaries are going to be uh, families with with children. Um, and so, what the legislature did was they doubled the amount that families can qualify for from the state. Um, it, it ends up being 185 million additional dollars that's going to come out of out of the state's uh, Tabor surplus. Um, and so ultimately what that does is it redistributes money that would go to Tabor refunds that would go to every Coloradan. And it says, no, we're going to set aside some of this money to really directly target relief to uh, to low-income workers. Now, one thing that Republicans have pointed out is that, yeah, that doesn't help everyone. And there's a lot of folks who make more than the income cutoff that, that won't benefit from that. Um, and same thing for for a $30 million uh, rental assistance program that the Democrats approved. That tops out at 80% of area median income. And the only folks who can get it are the folks who are actually facing, uh, facing the potential of an eviction. Um, so... A lot of middle-class renters won't qualify for that. Um, it was a big priority for Democrats heading into the session of how can we help renters more? Um, and the tools that they used to do that, yes, it will help a lot of low-income folks. It will help a lot of renters. Um, but it doesn't really, other than the Tabor refunds, not all of it's going to actually help uh, middle-class renters. Yeah, and even the way the Democrats structured the property tax relief was progressive and that they did more of the relief. It's about $400 million plus uh, in property tax relief. They, they structured it so it benefited lower income folks by doing a value reduction, a larger value reduction in, in terms of what's actually taxed on people's homes. That means a bigger percentage of per capita uh, savings for people with lower value homes than higher value homes. And then did a small uh, assessment rate reduction. So uh, an interesting way that they, they structured that as well. So we've talked about all these bills. You and I were there. 
the governor wanted this to be a bipartisan special session. Was it bipartisan? Only in the sense that both sides fought with one another. Um, there was one bill that, that did get some Republican support, and that was a bill that would fund a federal summer meals program for, for low-income children. Um, everything else, yeah, there really was not any bipartisanship to speak of. And and to me, that just really reflected the, the stark differences between what the two parties want on tax policy, right? Republicans think that across-the-board tax cuts are uh, are more fair, frankly. I mean, they think that people who pay more taxes should get more back from the state in terms of taxpayer refunds. Uh, they also think that the same should be said of property taxes, right? Uh, Democrats disagree. You know, they point to income inequality and the fact that uh, higher earners pay lower effective tax rates than everyone else. Uh, and so their goal is to really use tax policy to address broader econom economic inequalities. Yeah, and I should mention too, I mean, I think Democrats in some ways tried to offer some olive branches to Republicans. They they didn't use Tabor surplus to do the backfill mechanism for property taxes for schools and, and other local districts. They um, didn't dig into the reserves either, which is what the Republicans wanted. But, you know, they thought that was something that maybe Republicans get on board with. They, they really hated it. And you can read more about that at The Sun, um, colorsun.com. And then also they tried to loop uh, Republicans in for, you know, a long-term solution to property taxes. And I guess, can you talk a little bit about that? What does this mean? Um, what did they do for the long term? This is a, a short term fix, but what is what is what happened during the session mean for the long term tax outlook in the state? Yeah, so they established a, a task force that's going to study uh, property taxes. And, and the reason that they wanted to do it this way, right? In part, it was kind of a reaction to all of the backlash to Proposition HH. Proposition HH did not uh, ever get broad support from, from a variety of stakeholders, right? Uh, local governments didn't like it. Um, special service districts didn't like it. Um, the other day, Republicans didn't like it, right? Um, uh, tax policy is really, really hard to set at the state level, and it's one reason uh, going back a few years ago, that uh, the state asked voters to repeal the Gallagher Amendment, right? Which uh, was kind of this statewide tax limiting device. Um, but the problem with Gallagher was always that it was going to affect different places differently. It was going to affect rural areas differently than it was going to affect urban areas. And Front Range, because of how quickly housing values rise here, and because of what a huge share of the state's population is here in the front range. Front range effectively dictate has been dictating property tax policy for the entire state. Um, so they're trying to bring a lot of people from a lot of different interests together to discuss how can we actually provide tax relief that doesn't harm local services all over the state. Um, and, and that's going to be... It's going to be difficult to come to an agreement on that. Yeah, I think this commission's going to have a, a hard time, a lot of work to go. And I know they're hitting the ground running since the commission's supposed to be formed here in the next two weeks and start meeting immediately and present findings to the legislature by mid-March. So we should know quickly whether or not they're successful. Thanks, Brian. I, I appreciate you talking with me today. Thanks for putting up with my puppy barking and playing in the background. That was the best part. You can read more at coloradosun.com. 
Finally, here are a few stories that you should know about today. The potential sale of Wyoming state trust land inside Teton National Park is spurring fears that other cash-strapped states could resort to selling treasured public lands to raise money. Public land and wildlife advocates fret that Wyoming's proposal to sell 640 pristine acres with unfettered views of the Grand Tetons and robust wildlife could unlock the floodgates for billionaires who wish to turn public lands into private playgrounds by dangling the promise of millions in state revenue. The Colorado State Land Board owns 2.8 million surface acres, making it the second largest landowner in the state behind the U.S. government. Colorado says it rarely sells state trust land, however. The city of Thornton is making a second attempt to finish a key 70-mile water pipeline by renewing its request for Larimer County to approve the first 10 miles. Hanging in the balance is the development of more than 10,000 potential homes in Thornton awaiting certainty on finding a water tap. Thornton has staged a quiet public relations blitz with Larimer County residents bordering the redrawn pipeline route after the northern Colorado County's commissioners rejected the first map. Larimer County has the right to review Thornton's pipeline under state land use regulations for big projects. Colorado's ski areas have battled long lift lines and overflowing parking lots for several seasons. But are they too crowded? That's hard to say because resorts don't share visitor numbers and ski areas refuse to share the math they use to plan for capacity. But that secret formula could be made public following a district court ruling last week in Park City, Utah. A judge affirmed the local planning commission's right to review the information while weighing a planned upgrade at a Vail Resorts-owned ski area. That ruling could be used to bolster the case for other communities seeking access to ski resort planning data, potentially divulging long-held secrets. For more information on all of these stories, visit our website, coloradosun.com. And don't forget to tune in again next time. The Colorado Sun is nonpartisan and completely independent. We're always dedicated to telling the in-depth stories we need today more than ever. And the Sun is supported by readers and listeners like you. Right now, you can head to coloradosun.com and become a member, starting at $5 per month for a basic membership, and if you bump it up to $20 per month, you'll get access to our exclusive politics and outdoors newsletters. Thanks for starting your morning with us, and don't forget to tune in again tomorrow. Tomorrow.